You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe Podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattlesnake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy, and a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food and music and comedy and sports inside you. Please. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Denver, 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 Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most artistically inspired city between Paris and Paris on the Platte. I'm Joel Warner. Joining me today at the Daniels and Fisher Clock Tower is co-host Ron Doyle. Hey, Ron. Good morning. And joining us this morning also is very special guest, uh, Timothy Standring, curator of painting and sculpture at the Denver Art Museum. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. We also have Ashley Pritchard, the Art Museum's communications and media relations manager, just to make sure that we don't say anything we're not supposed to. And, and reluctant guest. She says yes. she doesn't want to talk, so we're just put right. a microphone in front yeah, of her. Yeah, we're going to make Ashley <laughs> talk. Say hi, Ashley. Hi, everyone. There we go. So this week we're going to be talking about uh, Timothy's new blockbuster exhibit, uh, Becoming Van Gogh, as well as Denver's feisty mural scene, and to go along with, a whole, with the artistic uh, discussion, statewide secession, and Red Dawn invasions. Uh, <laughs> but first, some newsy bits. Secretary of Interior Ken Salazar. Fists of Fury. Fists of Fury, yeah. Uh, Ken Salazar, at a, uh, at a conversation, uh, he threatened to punch a local reporter uh, this week. Uh, in relation to a story that we reported a couple weeks ago about um, the, the wild horses on uh, Bureau of Land Management land uh, that have been rounded up and they are being bought by... Uh, by Different individuals are being bought for a very cheap price, but in particular, this one uh, rancher who wants to sell them for, for meat. Yeah, and it seems like he might have already done so. He's not really saying what he's doing with these like hundreds upon hundreds of horses that he's buying for 10 bucks a head, but it seems like he might have some connections down with the Mexican meat industry. So anyways, this reporter from the Colorado Springs Gazette at this Obama election event on election day in Fountain... I guess, threw out a question to Ken Zalazar about these horse roundups. And I guess right afterwards, allegedly at least, uh, Salazar went up uh, to his reporter and said, if you set me up like this again, I will punch you out. Which uh, is kind of a feisty (laughs) thing to say (laughs) to a a reporter. It's a very feisty thing to say. I don't know if I would have expected someone who seems kind of as quiet and down to earth as Ken Salazar, but maybe there's just like bubbling rage. Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I, you know, as I'm wont to do, I immediately went into the, into the comments section on all the different news articles on the websites and wanted to see what people, how people were responding to this. And a lot of people were saying, oh, I knew he was a jerk all along. That, just, that sounds exactly like Ken Salazar to me. It doesn't sound like <laughs> him to me at all. He, hmm. he, he's, 
He seems like a very understated fellow. He wears yes. a bolo, not a tie. This is, <laughs> this is not someone... I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, he, the cowboy hat came off. He was ready to throw down. I, it's just very fascinating. You've got to wonder. I mean, the tensions have been so high politically that it, this seems par for the course. He's, he's got to be ready to... Uh, they all have to be. Everybody in the federal government right, right now has to be ready to snap. But, but if that's the question, that's going to do it? I mean, it seems kind of... Isn't, I mean, it, isn't that always the way? It's, it's never the thing that is supposed to really make you upset. It's always some little odd thing yeah. that sets you off, that, that pushes you over the edge. Timothy, has there ever been like, some question thrown your way by a reporter that, that almost sent you into Ken Salazar levels of fury? Um, but I have Ashley with me. <laughs> so you can't, you can, yes, to protect, to, to protect No, 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 not, not only that, but, um, you know, you, you forget your training. Uh, you forget how to answer those kind of questions and, and the demeanor. And, and maybe being out on the Western Slope or wherever he was uh, in the West, he simply had gone back into another demeanor. Remember, politicians are not monolithic. They're... Yeah. they're um, they have multi-personalities, and so uh, his persona, public persona, just uh, went away for just a nanosecond. Uh, maybe it's a tempest in a teapot. I mean, look, at we're, we all carry a burden, do yeah. we not? So, um, and, and he put it on record, and, and there you have it, and, and so uh, at least they spoke clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, to answer you, no. You never <laughs> <laughs> in a roundabout way. Yes. 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 Um, so I want to talk about another. It could happen today. It could happen if we start <laughs> asking the right question. Ash may have to hold you back. They yeah, might try to punch right. us out. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but I want to bring up another uh, another a potential fist fight. This one's a bit more legal. Uh, which was a little while ago, the Denver Brewery that's doing quite well. A strange brewing was sent a letter by a Massachusetts company called Strange Brew Beer and Winemaking Supplies. Apparently, Strange Brew Beer and Winemaking Supplies is concerned that its potential customers will become confused with their winemaking supply store (laughs) and a brewery in Denver. Confused, pop it into Google Maps, and then accidentally wind up in Denver. Yeah, so... I've been driving for hours. Where is this place? There's a Massachusetts guy who heads out to local Packy. And ends up in Denver, Colorado, looking... No, you, you've made a mistake. It's actually the new Apple Maps. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, come yes. on. Google Maps are, are Google quite Maps accurate. would get it right. Yes. I mean, you know, uh, when you find Brick, Breckenridge at Frisco, and Frisco yeah. over at Breckenridge, there's, there's a little problem here Just in the bit. state of Colorado where we want to go skiing. Yes. So. Which, so, I guess, so I guess since the Massachusetts company was the first to have this semi-name, they've th- they're basically threatening to sue Strange Brewing here in Denver unless they change their name. See, it's just so bizarre to me because, yes, uh, they, may, they may have a registered trademark on the name. However, uh, there's no, if they don't, there's no law that says you, can, you can't register the same business name in a different state. Yeah. So and it's a different. It's a type. It's actually a completely different. It's a industry. completely kind of completely different yeah. kind of business. The name actually is not that similar, and I, I think and this strange is just brewing is not that unusual name. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that there haven't been other breweries that 
but haven't used Strange Brewing. One can only assume that they probably they that it's already happened. I mean, and both of them could be sued by the the film industry because of the film Strange Brew. Yes. So <laughs> which is they're which both, is they're which both is surely better than both of them even combined. So I well, <laughs> but they're not selling their product to the advantage on the of the other company's trademarks or name. Yeah, uh, yeah, I it, don't it, think it's different. Are. It's kind of like going various places across Europe and you see Kentucky chicken. You don't yeah, see Kentucky right. fried. Or you, you just see Kentucky chicken, and of course, it, it, they have some gray-haired man there. <laughs> Obviously, right, they're exactly. taking advantage of uh, KCF chickens. So. Yeah. And I, I'd be willing to bet there's an A1 plumbing in every single state right. yeah, in the exactly. country. Yeah. Why not and, a mean, strange brew? Or a triple or art, art advisory. <laughs> right, right. Is that is that your next company? <laughs> it's already formed. Oh, excellent, yeah. excellent. Um, Careful. Hope you have the Twitter handle on that one. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I it seems like now these networking. guys. I think these guys. It sounds like they they have to go to court now. They have to spend all this money. Yeah. And the question is, I don't understand what this message this company has to gain by doing this. But I don't know. It's it's a go away suit. Yeah. And and, and what they want to do is simply receive money to go away. Fun. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps that's it. Assholes. I can say that because I'm from Massachusetts. It, so I can it, it is interesting. Um, and and it's, a, it's also a cautionary tale to uh, st- startups and entrepreneurs out there. Stop using common nouns and common adjectives for your business names uh, lest you run into this trouble. Like diatribe. Like D-U-H. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, like diatribe. Like, yeah. like any of the variety of different businesses that are out there. Yeah. And also, I'm a web designer, so the SEO for that is just ridiculous. Um, talking about going away, we're going to talk about one other sad thing that's going away from Colorado, mm. and that is Red Dawn, which yeah. is the, the iconic, hyper-nationalistic uh, Patrick Swayze. I assume, I remember with his shirt off, 1980s. He, uh, surely he um, took his shirt off at some point. Wolverine so. film um, about... Uh, Cuban Russian invasion in Colorado. Was They're it Cuban Russian or Chinese Chinese Russian? I no, can't okay. Remember. The yeah. original, <laughs> and this makes complete sense, of course. Russia <laughs> joined forces with Cuba to invade the United States. Right. But Timothy's nodding. You're obviously a, a connoisseur of Red Dawn, the original. Is that correct? Uh, no, more of the history side. Oh, history. Okay, fine. <laughs> yes, because yes, it was that, a, that association. It was, was a semi-documentary, real. if I remember correctly. Yes. It kind of oh, it it did it almost came out. <laughs> yeah, it did. So, yeah. so now they have a remake, or I guess they're calling it Red Dawn Two. It's coming out this November. Get excited, except for the fact it's no Patrick's longer. Patrick's not going to be. In yeah, it. Patrick's no, not in Patrick's it. Not in it. It's not. It doesn't take place in Colorado. It is not uh, in Colorado. Okay. And it's now, I guess, it's we wanted North to see Korea. Peona again. Yes. It's, yeah. It's now it's now North Korea. Yeah. And, and they're invading like they're North invading West. Washington State. Which okay here okay geographically yeah yeah to kind of step away from my from my pro Colorado stance. It's like stance. Palin geography. Yeah. <laughs> it does. I mean, it makes a lot. I don't. You know, if I was Russia and Cuba invading the United States, I probably wouldn't choose to invade Colorado. It, it seems like it's not the most practical way into the country. Unless they wanted, they couldn't adjust their inner ballistic missiles. It could only go to Colorado. It could only do that. They couldn't shorten it. To so go they to were like Miami. Yeah, <laughs> or somehow blaming uh, um, what, uh, the, miles the Apple Maps again. <laughs> of, of all of all the places in the United States to attack, Colorado would be one of the worst. I mean, it, we have giant mountains. We're the most defensible space in the whole country. Yeah, but, but I and think they the wanted middle. to hit Sac. 
You're right. You know, yeah, Colorado you know, Springs. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Going, Which, you're I going mean, after Cheyenne. I mean, this going is, after this is 50s Cold War stuff. Yeah. It is, know. totally. Uh, and there's gigantic bombers, you know. <laughs> Plowing Which, across the plains. But, I mean, wouldn't every... I mean, okay, so I'm going back to the original. Wouldn't, wouldn't folks have seen all these giant planes from literally every other state that they had to pass <laughs> through first before the they hours. hit Colorado? Would, like, would, like, I guess they would have come over, like, Texas. Wouldn't Texas be like, gee, what are these... Well, no, if I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to recall, didn't they? They all just drove in. Oh, they drove in. They drove in okay. through New Mexico, and <laughs> oh. who was paying attention yeah, there? No one paying attention to Mexico. Uh, no but, one was watching. So, yeah, so, so now uh, Colorado doesn't even have a part in the horrible movie Red Dawn 2, which is the state of our film industry. It's, I, 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 trist. Yeah, yeah so you know, really? I got to say, it's, it's, with, it's, a, it's a mixed uh, a mixed emotion. So, for so me. You, I, almost I, feel, you almost happy. I'm relieved that we're no longer part of it. But at the same time, you yeah. know, it, it was ours. Yes. It, it was one of the few films that was actually, actually made here. Yeah. Uh, and now, now it will be forgotten. Yeah. Although it probably should be forgotten anyway. Wolverine. <laughs> Wolverines. Wolverines. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's it for the newsy bit this week. Uh, listeners, if you want to share a news story with us, rant about something we said today, or shower us with gifts of strange <laughs> brews and Wolverine commemorative headbands, please leave a comment. <laughs> On DenverDiatribe.com, like us on Facebook, or drop us a line, please, at 720-282-YELL. Uh, so our first main topic is uh, we're talking about Denver murals. This was inspired this week. I guess, I guess it happened this week, maybe early, uh, late last week. Uh, the longtime mural of Johnny Cash <coughs> on the wall of Bender's Tavern on East 13th Avenue, right near the Art Museum. Right near the no Art more. Museum. Um, basically... Um, Benders is no more. Benders is no more. Quixote's True Blue moved into the space. Yes. And I, originally, I guess they they hired some painter to literally just give uh, Johnny Cash a facelift. So they painted a beard a, on him. Another and muralist. Hmm. And tried to make him look like Jerry Garcia. It wasn't the most flattering uh, result for for either uh, Johnny or Jerry. I have to say. No. Yeah. Jerry. Jerry looked like drunk Santa. And and there was a huge <laughs> backlash. Yeah, that's that's really indie art. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. then they painted that over with black, and then the uh, the murals. I think it's the same muralist went and actually painted actually a pretty nice picture. He's already done. I, I can't. Well, no, this... no. I'm not sure he was completely done. But then two nights ago at night, somebody somebody came over with uh, cans of paint and threw paint over the new Jerry mural. Folks are really. Wow. Getting almost Ken Salazar level fury over <laughs> everything saying this over this mural. Hmm. Wow, they're it's getting Salazar. This is so. So I mean, I this want is, this yeah. is contemporary iconoclasm. <laughs> I mean, this has been going on since <laughs> since the religious wars of the 16th century. I mean, we brought it up to a contemporary component. Yeah. This, is, this is incredible. Yeah. So, so I mean, this is worthy of a New Yorker talk of the town. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. It, it really it's really fascinating to me. Uh, first of all, the the mural. That, that everyone poses as if as if it's been there forever it was only eight years old. Yeah, which as far as murals go is pretty young. It's not. It's not very. It was not. It was certainly iconic. But what's amazing is that you're talking about something that, which is a popular icon that's that's revered by small pockets of people who knew it, and, right? And and frequented these kind of bars and and they were icons, country western, but a little bit edgy. Uh, and then Jerry Garcia, a different constituency altogether. Completely different. It, it's 
it's really, really amazing. What, why can't people get visceral about other works of art throughout our city like this? Yeah. Not, not that I'm encouraging violence. Do, do you think it's be, you know, and this, this sort of leads into the conversation about murals in general. Do you think it's, it's the particular art form of the mural because it's so large and it's, it's in a space where you're constantly passing it? Is that the reason why uh, people react so strongly to murals in general? And, you know, this didn't necessarily have to be uh, Johnny Cash and Jerry yeah. Garcia, there are plenty of other murals around town that get large reactions. I don't think it's the size. I think it's the content. You do? I really? think it's the subject matter and the content. Oh, interesting. Other, otherwise, uh, well, think of uh, the Carpenters. What if you put the Carpenters up there? I mean, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah, nobody, right. Nobody, or um, Her, the, Herb Alpert. You know, right. I mean, uh, <laughs> A&M Records, you know, uh, I don't know if anybody, but but you see that kind of image would not have gone along with that drinking establishment, that right. establishment of, of the night. Well, yeah, and those those figures are, they have not reached a, so, well, for some I suppose they probably have a cult following, uh, but not to the same degree as Johnny Cash. But you're and bringing Garcia. you're bringing out some really interesting issues about the nexus between the public image yes. and the public at large. And I mean, it's not in a museum. It's not in an art gallery. It's not owned, as it yeah. were, although this was owned by the people who own the building. Yeah. And they have every right to do everything yeah. they want with it. Right. But yeah. there's just kind of this almost as, it's assumed kind of public ownership of these, of these pictures. But, but it's even greater when you have this kind of public dialogue about such things, very much like Christo. Christo's work going over the Arkansas River is not necessarily about the screen. He is completely happy that he has caused everybody into this, in this state to talk about what is art. Yeah. Yes. What is art? And, and if, if, this, if you're bringing to the fore this discussion about the removal of images uh, and then iconoclasm going over what has been replaced, uh, it's raising consciousness in our little village here on the Platte about what constitutes a work of art. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the questions I had, I I, certain, I sympathized with the the original backlash against Jerry Garcia for one reason in particular. I didn't think it was a big deal that Johnny Cash was painted over and they put Jerry Garcia up. That seems appropriate since Quixote's True Blue is a they're a dead it's bar. A gem, yeah, it's a Grateful it's Dead a jam bar. Band bar. Uh, but it it felt weird to me because the the second muralist involved in the process, the one that painted Jerry use the eyes from from Johnny Cash uh, and and used a piece of the original muralist's work. And, and it wasn't in a creative way. If he'd done it in some kind of clever, creative way to recognize what had come before, it might have been one thing, but it wasn't. I, it looked, I, think, I think that was his think intention. It was? I think it was okay. his intention. He left the eyes up as a... Uh, as a way to honor that Johnny Cash is beneath that I mean, Jerry it, Garcia. To, to my thinking, either it was, a, it was a quick solution, or as a muralist, he should have simply uh, blacked it all out, put a new primer on it, and redone the whole thing. Which is what he did very shortly Eventually, after. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very shortly after. And I had, not, I had not heard this, that there had been another version that had gone up, yeah. and then... And then that has been vandalized. It'd be really interesting to see if anybody had videoed the changes and the morphing of this image yeah. over the couple of and there's yeah, right. photos. I don't know if there's a video. They, yeah, there are photos. I don't but know. But I mean, if yeah, I think doing so, it, it's this really kind of visual representation 
of um of dealing with uh dealing with the shift of this of his bar and so the yeah. question is so what's it going to be like for Quixote's moving forward when there's been this really kind of public visual reaction even if just by a few angry individuals to this concept of shifting from this kind of Johnny, Johnny Cash type right. symbol to this Jerry Garcia type symbol. Right. So. Well, th- I don't think they could have asked for better press to announce that they've moved <laughs> locations. No. Yeah. Right. Although Everybody never, knows where they are. I've never now. been to either Benders nor uh, Coyote 2. I'll, I'll have to ask my daughters. I'm <laughs> sure they've been there. It's, it's uh, right, right up the hill from the museum. Uh, no, on, no, no, I know. I ride yeah. my bike. When <laughs> no, I you've never a, been inside. When, when I do a green day, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I ride by it and go, gee, that's kind of interesting. I would have gone there about 30, 40 years ago. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it well, look, but what if, what if other drinking establishments kind of began to put murals on the outside near their parking lots uh, as, a, as a sort of... Uh, spread out of uh, iconic identity about what kind of bar they are. Yeah, I think it's I think yeah. it's a great idea. I mean, uh, is it Snooze that that also has the murals on the side? Now, of the, yeah, the pancake place. And they rotate. Place? Yeah, uh, and they they rotate. On Colorado or yeah. Uh, no, Snooze. No, it's right. It's right off Broadway and. Uh, Larimer. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, there yeah, we go. There's yeah, our Broadway Snooze expert. And they rotate murals on there, and they have some nice ones. So they've they've set it up where they intentionally and change. And uh, I.F. Chang, uh, off of Fifteenth uh, Street, going north, uh, they 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 had a muralist who actually replicated many of the works from our our exhibits at the museum. We, I don't know why we didn't put a, a Van Gogh there. Remember we did for the um, the Great Renoir um, picnic. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. I, I remember. I remember these yeah. murals being up. And yeah, it's a, a the mural. I, for me, but, I know, find this murals town really doesn't have a muralist <clears throat> tradition like L.A. does. Like Chicago well, yeah, and I wanted to ask about that. Not not to the same degree, but I think Leo Tanguma would argue to the contrary. Tell me where. Uh, uh, I mean, it really, there there aren't that many. He's he's done a few murals in town, and uh, the high school I used to teach at, he came and for a summer, and he did a mural with our students. This is, this is Leo Tanguma, who, who's gained national fame because of the DIA murals, yeah. the, the very controversial murals since, that he has there. since Jared's not here, we don't have to talk about the whole <laughs> and conspiracy since, yet since again. our co-host Jared Mayer is <laughs> yeah. here, we don't have to get into the conspiracy much. But anyway, Leo, he, he actually said he had become so um, disappointed with the process of making a mural because it's so devastating to work so hard on this piece of art with a large number of people because usually mur- murals are a group project. Uh, and then have it painted over whenever tastes change. So he had actually shifted to doing uh, these large mobile murals um, mm. out of out of uh, wood, uh, large structures. So if someone gets bored with it, it can be moved somewhere else where someone else will appreciate it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, like I thought for that example, was pretty that couldn't be done with um, Justice Through the Ages, which was the mural that was on the old um, Justice Building. Uh, it was uh, um, what's the name of that? Um, the Colorado State ju- Judicial Building that yes. was torn down for the new Supreme Court, they had that huge mural on the ceiling, on that public ceiling, and that thing had to be torn down because I guess there was, there was asbestos issues with it, and so that's, that thing's gone, and that right, was right, a right. huge mural no, yeah, down. Yeah, I, I, yeah it, I guess you are right that, that we don't have the same, we don't have a, a 
profound mural culture here. If you go somewhere like the Santa Fe Arts District, there's a pretty high concentration. Or Pilsen in Chicago. Of murals. So what inspires that? I mean, is there some way for a city to do that? I mean, is it about creating a fun well, thing? Well, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it's public art. Yeah. And, and it, there should be a, a raised consciousness about that. Uh, beautification of neighborhoods. Uh, but also, it's, it's really kind of funky because it has local iconography. And it makes people proud of neighborhoods and uh, gives a sense of, of possession, of roots, of um, I live here, I'm proud of my neighborhood. Yeah. And, uh, and to counter, the, the uh, individual said, you know, I really don't like it because they're going to take it down when taste changes. But, you know, when you, you sell a work of art to somebody else yes. and that person owns it, that person can actually just put a match to it. And right, immediately. It. So, I mean... You know, it's it's all the notion of public ownership as against, um, uh, or private ownership as against public ownership. Um, no, I do think I do think Denver has a a very respectable um, system for uh, taking pride in public art. I mean, the the system where it's set up whenever we have a large public works project that at least one percent of the funding has to go towards public art to go along with whatever that big infrastructure development is. But, it, but you open a huge can of worms. Right. You, I mean... Sure, uh, you wind, well, up, the, you the wind up with Lucifer is, at, is at the airport. What's the nexus between making good artistic decisions in a, in a democratic process? Yes. You know, uh, does, it, does it arrive at the lowest common denominator? Yeah. Does it arrive at a medium? Does, uh, can you actually underwrite and purchase... Uh, very significant, important works of art. Yes. How do you curate? Can, can these, you budget these for? I mean, like, can you, know, you budget the, for something? The that two dancing figures over at the. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, well, the, <laughs> right. Okay. It's corny where it is. It would have been better if it were at Republic Plaza. At Republic oh, Plaza, it's, it's a it's a smaller site. Yeah. Yes. It would have had a much more interesting presence, but the placement that they put it, or the Botero. I mean, the Botero gets lost. The little fat guy when you're getting your ticket at yeah. the CSO near Betcher Auditorium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it has completely insignificant site location for it, and it's, it's dismissed. Everybody walks by it. But then when you get to the Lipsky with the horse on the chair, every, it's a head turner. Yeah. Everybody yes. goes, whoa, you know, OMG, look at that. Uh, uh, that's kind of weird, but at least it is stimulating, mm -hmm. and and it brings back the whole notion of Alice in Wonderland. And gee, you know, my existence here in Denver is rather fantasized, but uh, it, it's a conscious razor. Yeah. And and I think that our community needs to have more of a public dialogue about public art, that it's, it just doesn't sit in Starship Galactica down here on Broadway called the Denver Art Museum. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's landed. Yeah. And somebody came up to me and said, you know our building fell over? And I said, don't worry, it doesn't matter. It doesn't show. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, we, we at the Denver Art Museum want to make sure that the dialogue gets outside the walls. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think you guys have been doing a good job with that with with all the, with all the community activities. Well, you're it's doing. it's 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 turned into a programming engine. Yeah. Um uh, well, I think I have to move on a little bit from this cuz I I also want to talk about um 
the the yeah we'll, we'll keep stuff. that we'll yes. keep that the unknown going. exhibition yes the unknown exhibit um so, so let's move on uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Legal Pete's uh, among all the other stuff the ragtag ragtag crew over there is up to they're partnering with Breckenridge Brewery on a bunch of illegal Christmas parties at their locations in early and mid December. Featuring illegal Xmas. Yes, illegal Xmas. Uh, featuring <laughs> giveaways, beer specials, and photo opportunities with a very bad Santa. For more information, <laughs> uh, check out their Illegal Pete's Facebook page. Uh, we're going to take a little break. When we return, uh, Timothy is going to be walking us through becoming Van Gogh. That was Is This Happening by the Denver band The Dirty Few. They will be having a video premiere party for their new song, You Want Me, at Illegal Pete's Lodo on December 5th at 9 p.m. So check it out. Now I want to talk uh, to Timothy about his new show, uh, Becoming Van Gogh, which I think is doing really, really well. It seems like it's selling out hugely. I think uh, it seems like the crowds are coming. I know I went yesterday. It's, it's not not doing well. Yes. It's not not doing well. It's not that not doing double well. Double negative. I love it. Um, look at all my colleagues make me look really good. And my co-curator, uh, Louis Van Tilburg of the Van Gogh Museum, it's a stunning installation. Uh, the storyline of becoming Van Gogh is working. Uh, it took seven years to make. Uh, 90 works of art, 70 works by V squared G, Vincent Van Gogh. And, and the amazing thing about this whole enterprise is that exhibition, qua exhibition, uh, is an art form all by itself. And, and we had the best crew that, that succeeded in doing this. So the self-taught moments throughout on uh, copying from others. He was self-taught as an artist of copying from plaster casts, yes. of learning about color theory and then using a small perspectival frame uh, about the size of a Kindle. And you look through that frame and that gives you what you want to draw. And he did that throughout his entire career. So uh, I, I'm, I'm hugely pleased. And I need to tell everybody that... Uh, you have to go online and get your ticket now. Because uh, it's selling out, like, how many days in advance or weeks in advance is it selling out? Well, it, it goes uh, virtually all, and we're going through January 20th, yeah. and our village of Denver tends to wait until the end. And everybody wants to, you know, it's don't be a fair-weather art-goer. Just get on your commute, uh, computer and go denverartmuseum.org and start planning and organizing because a lot of people come uh, during the vacation time between uh, New um, Thanksgiving and New Year's. Yeah. Yes. Our highest season. A lot of out, out of town people come and everybody makes plans to go down there to see it. Well, you better do it now, immediately. But finish listening to our little discussion here. Right. Because yes. well, because that. all the all the 
all the tourists that are going to come here to go skiing and realize there's no snow, they're going to wind up <laughs> seeing Van Gogh yes. instead. Including curators try- <laughs> who notice that there isn't any snow. I snowboard. Yeah. And they might I'm try to ski down the board. museum while they're there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a- you know, I, I, uh, never summer boards are made in Colorado. Yes, they are. Yeah. And about three years ago, I, I left a message on the CFO and said, why don't you make a, a V-square-G Vince Van Gogh sunflower snowboard in honor of this exhibition. And what they say? Never got a call back. Oh, oh you know. terrible. But small-minded, I had, small-minded. I had more clout getting 90 <laughs> works of art here from so you, 60 so different let, lending wait, entities. Let me, let me get this right. You, you were able to get 90 works of art from one of the most iconic Impressionist artists <laughs> in history, but you couldn't get the little snowboard, local snowboard company to make you a snowboard. No, I, I even <laughs> ride on one. Yeah. You know, I'm a... I'm a, a SRV. I, I, well, anyway, it's a, one, a 158 Camber and Rocker technology. Okay, all of you boarders out there, I'm not goofy. I'm regular, and uh, I, I listen to Underground and put Jumbo on for a seven-minute run. Nice. I, you know, yeah. of course I wear a Your helmet. Your street cred's going up hugely just in this one one-hour podcast. By the way. <laughs> I was like, I don't but, care about Van Gogh, but this guy, oh, yeah, I'm going. No, 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 look it. Um, I, uh, I was inspired by Van Gogh when I did this exhibition, and he didn't fail. He had four earlier careers. He was an art clerk. He was a theology student, and he couldn't hack either. He was a shitty art clerk. He told people, don't buy that. That's right. shitty art. <laughs> and they put him back in the stockroom. They eventually fired him. And it was his uncle's firm. Yeah. And this is when he's 16 and 17. He's, he's living in The Hague in London, Paris. And then he goes back to Amsterdam to um, follow his father's footsteps to become a minister. So he goes to a highly rigorous uh, theological seminary. He can't hack it, although he's incredibly bright. He read and wrote in four languages, uh, Dutch, English, German, and French. He studied Latin and Greek, and he couldn't make the curriculum, so then he went to a less rigorous school in Brussels, more akin to social work. Didn't hack that. Then he went to the south of Belgium in a Catholic area, largely, uh, preaching to coal miners. He basically just went, he became renegade minister, right? He sort of... When I, he couldn't get through the, the theological program, so then he went on and said, all right, well, I'm just going to do this myself. I know what to do. Well, imagine the huge ideological differences between his family. So imagine if uh, Mitt Romney's son decided to go and become a Baptist. I mean, you've got huge, vast evangelical preaching on the one side of Vincent and then high Dutch Calvinist of his family trying to keep, um, you know, leave it de- to beaver demeanor, you know, our family is good and 50s comportment, you know, nobody's bad and they're hiding all the sins, you know. Yeah. So he's failing and he decides to become an artist in, when he's 27 years old. That's about 10 years past when everybody else decides what to do when they become an artist. And he's self-taught. He didn't want to be corrupted by an art school. And there are indeed life lessons for all of us. This was just like a 10-year period. I mean, this was not like he then spent decades upon decades. No, only 10 years. Only 10 years. And that's the thing. I think – and I went to the exhibit yesterday. And I think you guys did 
a really compelling job of kind of crafting that narrative. As a writer, I always look for narrative, and you guys really made it into the narrative of how he really did. Did you read the become... section labels and the extended labels? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, yeah, I got a it. whole month. Yeah. So, I mean, but I also, but as you said, you kind of, you, you kind of made the parallel yourself. I mean, I think there's also a really compelling and almost amazing narrative behind how you put this thing together. Like you said, you spent like seven years on this. I think you traveled 100,000 miles per year working to get this, starting from a point where the museum itself doesn't have a single Van Gogh. We don't have a single object by Van Gogh. So, so and I wasn't yeah. even a Van Gogh scholar. So, so, so my question then is, what the heck were you thinking when you said this is what we're going to do? I mean, how did this, inc- how did this come about? I mean, why did you decide to... It, it's to called impro- um, <laughs> Incredible... Ego and self-confidence, <laughs> hopefully more of the latter than the former. But uh, I could sell sand in the desert and icicles on the North Pole. Yeah. And, and imagine what I had to go through. I can't. What I had to go through. I mean, every institution, there's 60 different lending entities. And in each entity, you, the protocol is that you go to another curator and you explain the story. And uh, you want to convince that curator that, it, uh, that it, they should risk sending their work of art to Denver, Colorado. Yeah. And then you want to make sure that that curator is going to be an advocate on your behalf to make sure that it's approved by the director, their loan committee, their registrar, their co- conservator, and their board of trustees. And that can take up to a year to make that decision. Before they even let you know. And I Before they let you know yes or no. Correct. Uh. But then it doesn't end there. So that then the approval letter comes back, director to director. Keep in mind that the letter, after I, you make a personal contact, then I had to compose the uh, template, and that took three months of reading a whole wall of Van Gogh research and writing in 1,000 words. And then you have to write a one-paragraph blurb about the work of art in their collection that basically says, if you refuse to loan this work, you're going to wreck our entire exhibition. So it's that blurb. The first one took eight (laughs) hours to write. And you get pretty good at it after a while. And you say, um, in no uncertain terms, the visitor will walk away and see that there is an incredible variation going on. For example, the open book there between the 1888 uh, field of, of Arles with the 1889 painting from the uh, Courtauld Institute of London. But then when the letter comes in, our director receives it, goes to my office, goes to the registrar's office, and then the registrars are then in communication with that institution's registrar. And then they communicate a 12-page legal contract, and then they work out the shipping logistics of going from, let's say, London to Denver, which involves a a courier, which involves a certain kind of crating, uh, customs, uh, a legal document, insurance, um, and then uh, arriving here with the courier uh, and then putting it on the wall. Now, did you guys find, going around some of these institutions, a bias against, against Denver still? Did you guys find that, oh, well... Why Denver of all places? Yeah, we were, we were talking about this before, that it, it feels like in, in the last couple of years, Denver has really 
reached a point to where it's it's gaining the international attention uh, as a museum that something that it did not have before no, uh, it, it, it was in a, my field in my experience for all look at i i've organized about 12 exhibitions here so my network is wide and deep mm -hmm. uh, all throughout north america and all throughout europe and south america so i i was able i i can't imagine a mid-career or a young curator doing this uh, in the same way, because there, there just wasn't a network. But five years ago, people would say, what coast is Denver on? Oh, you know, yes. Now you don't have that. I, you know, I'd say, it's on the Platte River. <laughs> it's kind, of, <laughs> it's kind, kind of, of an ocean. It's on the Platte River, and they say, the what? That coast. Uh, you don't have that. And they'd say, uh, is Dynasty still there? Those kind of ah. things. <laughs> now, what, what do you think has changed? What, what, has, what has made Denver well, shift? Well, in the field of, of the visual arts, I mean, we built the uh, Liebeskin Design Building with the Hamilton Wing. We've made a major commitment. We invested in a destination museum. Uh, we're a programming engine now. Uh, we do... Uh, programming that's cooler than cool, yeah. that, that is the envy of, of museums across America and many Europeans are coming to us. Even the people from the Van Gogh Museum said, I, it's amazing what you do for your audiences. Look it, we've got great climate here, but we also have 40,000 family members. Now, go figure. I mean, th it's amazing uh, that people are investing in the arts in our community and it's either an aggregate of a, a relatively uh, well-educated uh, populace, but we're sharing, and, and we know about demographics. For example, uh, our video, or our, rather our audio is on uh, Spanish as well as English. So we're doing really intelligent things and making a mark by uh, organizing exhibitions and intelligent programming across the board with the permanent collection as well as incoming exhibitions there. What? I want to talk about uh, the audio a little bit. I was listening to the audio yesterday at the exhibit, and I was yeah. listening to you. Did you like it? Yes, wow. uh, but now, now I noticed something. I Tell noticed, me. Uh, several times I noticed you saying on the audio, if you slow down, if you stop, and you look at this in this way. And so I started thinking about kind of the pressure there. I mean, do you, as a curator, spend all this time on this huge exhibition um, kind of find a challenge to get the massive amounts of people who are buying tickets who have to get through this thing to kind of to get them to actually stop and kind of appreciate these pieces of art in the moment as opposed to just kind of moving but through, that, rushing getting, through. But then we'd miss the whole point of bringing original works of art. Then why didn't we just put up digitals yeah. and say everybody race through, put up speed bumps, and then they go to the store and, and buy uh, Van Gogh mugs? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> or no, Van Gogh no, bow ties, look at, which they uh, might they might. Uh, do I anyway. asked them to make that, but they didn't. But uh, or car fresheners with an ear. But <laughs> the important thing is that we have people that have slowed down. They're spending roughly ninety minutes in the exhibition, and we've made a concerted effort to make the experience rewarding. Mm -hmm. What we found with huge blockbusters is that if they go away and say, oh, it's just horrible, there just were too many people, I didn't learn anything, it was, you know, they will stop. Yeah. And so uh, it's the, it's the trade-off that you make. Uh, we are thinking about expanded hours. We are thinking about 
those kind of issues to bring more people in that, that wish to see the exhibition, but we're not willing to compromise what we feel is important. And I've told people this is slow food looking. This is intelligent looking. Mm -hmm. This is about studio practice. It's not about uh, the uh, mental issues that are, we all associate with Van Gogh. It, it is not an exhibition in which his art is graphed by his instability caused by mental problems yeah. and his social issues. He was uh, ill-mannered socially. Imagine if my voice went up 10 decibels right here. You'd all look at me and point to the door like, go away. And that was a Vincent moment. He couldn't do anything about that. Yeah. But he was quite consistent and rational and disciplined in his approach towards making art. And he does that, and we demonstrate that throughout the entire exhibition. Yeah, and I noticed, I mean, you guys really, as you said, you guys didn't kind of focus on the stuff that most people associate with Van Gogh. You looked really deeply at the process of creation, about kind of, kind of Materials, techniques, yeah. studio practices, his interest in, pa in paper, medium, graphite, uh, Carpenter's pencils, reed pens, ink, gouache, watercolor, uh, different viscosities of handling paint, uh, really thick gooey like uh, Adolf Monticello. And uh, other people have said, look, at this is the first time we see him responding to uh, three different segments of artists throughout his career. Yeah. Uh, the early mentors of Millet, Herbert von Herkimer, uh, Parisian, he, he responds to uh, an unknown virtually, Adolf Monticelli, and then he paints uh, Pinture de l'Essence, uh, a very light, thin, liquidy paint influenced by Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, uh, flat panel painting. Which, by the way, I love the note in the exhibit how you noted that Van Gogh and Toulouse-Lautrec got the bad seats in the art class, which are basically the seats where you're looking at the new model's butt. I, right. I enjoyed uh, that part. Yes. I, uh -huh. That's what I like, I have to say. It's, it's, uh, it's part of the training. And we, <laughs> we, we, we allow uh, adolescent jokes in the exhibition for everybody, yeah. too. So. Now, I couldn't help but in some ways comparing this to one of the other really big recent uh, blockbusters that you guys had at the art museum, which was the... the uh, the, um, the YSL show? Say, yeah, yeah, the yes. East on the Wrong exhibit. East on the Wrong. And in many ways, they are similar. You know, it's both telling a compelling narrative of about one person and kind of showing these time periods and these different artistic styles through this one person, through this one time. But I also noticed differences. I, I think maybe because, because the East Saint Laurent was, was such a was such kind of multimedia experience. Yeah, three-dimensional. You, know, you mean in and the there installation? Was. Yeah, the installation. Yeah, yeah. And it, there which was, is incredible. Yeah, and there was some of that multimedia Mm -hmm. In the Van Gogh exhibit, but not as much. Part of me was, for some reason, assuming that there were going to be recreations of what a studio might have looked like. But while there was some multimedia in the Van yeah, Gogh, right you know, at the beginning, yeah, there wasn't was, as much. You know, in some ways, it was a more of a traditional kind of hey, let's let's just look at this pure right paintings and whatnot. Now, was, you, was that a conscious you decision? Have, uh, the the medium is the message, said yeah. McLuhan, and 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 we invested huge amounts of of. Uh, capital and investment for the community to bring original works of art in and so we didn't need the multimedia beyond the introduction to help tell our story yeah so we we basically really wanted to have people uh 
look at it as if it were Van Glue, you know, so <laughs> where they're, they're stuck, their eyeballs are stuck on the works of art. Like, I get it like Timothy Standring gets it. Yeah. I mean, if I could get thousands of people to walk through there and look at works of art the way I look at it, we will have achieved a huge, huge amount. Yeah. Because people look at things, they scan and they collect baseball cards of works of art. I saw the postman Roland. Yes. But now they know sure. that the postman Roland is based on Franz Hall's work. It was done in '88. It was inspired by Japanese prints outlined in flat coloring, and a brilliant uh, color contrast. And it's it's a Van Gogh. But they know a, a, a different kind of dimension. So so so, so now you've done all this. Now that you've spent the past seven years doing all this, and now now that your your baby has has been born. Gestated, yes. Yeah, gestated uh -huh. at the Starship Enterprise down the street. Galactica. Galactica, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Wrong is, show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Beam me up, Scotty. So, so, so what's next for you? What, what's your next crazy seven-year well, odyssey? I've also, but I parallel process. So okay. I'm a self-proclaimed <laughs> ADD, perhaps like Van Gogh. I can't do one thing at a time. And I'm working on an exhibition that opens up a year from now at Buckingham Palace oh. on the Queen's drawings of, uh, from Windsor Castle, the Royal Library, on a Genoese artist, Giovanni Benedetto Castiglione, Detto Il Grichetto. So it's, he's the new Caravaggio. Wow. The new unknown oh, Caravaggio. So he's a draftsman. And then I'm working on uh, another exhibition on the studio practice of Andrew and Jamie Wyeth called Messy Painting. Oh, very and fun. And then uh, who knows what else. Yeah. Are you going to have time to go snowboarding? These are not official. What? Are you going to have time to go snowboarding and all this? I better. Yeah. I mean, I... I <laughs> Otherwise, Ashley, you I'll, better make this happen. <laughs> no, 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 they, they all... <laughs> Glancing over at Ashley. They, they all... I also snowboard, but I don't know if I want to snowboard with Timothy here. No, yeah. they all know it. Could but I keep up? <laughs> I thought I was going to make it this weekend, but, you know, yeah. who wants to go down that death-defying Keystone run and, yeah, uh, the, yeah. and bony copper, you know? I, oh, I thought... No. It, well, I love copper, but... Not uh, right now. Not, not right yet. now. Yeah. Not yet. Uh, Are we... For, for folks... Uh, for folks who are going to visit, let's let's give a little help to our to our listeners. For folks that are going to go visit the Van Gogh exhibit, uh, what would you number one? What would you say is your your favorite work that is not one of the not one of the better knowns, uh, and why? Uh, oh, that's a no brainer. Okay, uh, it's in the middle of the exhibition, and it's called Butterfly and Grasses. Yeah. It's stunning. It's the fulcrum of the entire exhibition. And you can tell by listening to the audio when you describe that. I mean, your, your excitement over that. I think I got uh, passionate. <laughs> <laughs> and why? Yeah. And why? why? Why is it your Oh, favorite? well, it's because he's drawing when he's painting, and he's painting when he's drawing. And he Look, at the whole issue about this exhibition, what every visitor is going to walk away with, is, is that his mark-making, very Tony word, uh, he's drawing and painting at the same time, and he's experimenting uh, during his Netherlandes period. And you can't understand these great works of 87, 88, 89 without that experimentation that took place the prior five years. Yeah. And, and because he didn't go to an art school, we are all saved. We identify <laughs> something with Van Gogh, six billion of us on the face of the earth, this most celebrated artist, 
something that he's done in his work is hitting at us in, at our core. And he's expressing feeling. And in no uncertain terms, when you look at that painting and the incredible intensity of the strokes of the paint uh, throughout that entire composition, you see that this guy was so focused and brilliant and he's communicating feeling. Huh. And, we, and we walk about by and we say, oh, I, I want to go just buy some paints and, and start putting oh, paint yeah, on, yeah. on the surface. Well, um, I, I also I just want to just very quickly thank you. Thank you for bringing, bringing the exhibit to Denver and the seven years that it, it took you to make it happen. This, it basically sounds like every single painting is like a celebrity that you then had to deal with the celebrity's posse to get them here all at the same time for this ongoing concert. But, but also I wanted to thank you for not trying to shove Van Gogh <laughs> down, uh, down the Denver Denverites' throats. No, I mean, uh, chastising it, us for mispronunciation. It, look, now, your co-curator was all about that in the audio, right? No, well, exactly. But uh, Louis van Tilburg was—they're all polite. They're lovely at the Van Gogh Museum. They were great colleagues, uh, and they—they they just revert revert to English when I'm around. They all go Van Gogh. You know, when we're in discussion. Yeah. But then, right. then they go off and start talking Dutch, and, and it becomes that guttural H. Oh. So it's... it's <laughs> hoch, hoch. <laughs> so just think of hawker and... and <laughs> okay? Uh, and then, well, when you go into a grocery store, order Hauda, don't order Gouda. Cheese. So, and, and because it's southern Dutch, it's more guttural than northern Dutch. So you actually begin to hear these things, but... Anyway, aren't we all lucky in, in Colorado? And it's only for about seven weeks more. And yep. everybody, yeah. please plan ahead because yeah. it is uh, so difficult. Um, otherwise, when, when the tickets are sold out and, and you don't want to miss this opportunity to see original works of art. Yeah. Uh, so you heard it here. Go buy your tickets right now. Don't wait. DenverArtMuseum.org. DenverArtMuseum.org. And there are, and for all of you non-Denverites, there are hotel packages throughout the city, uh, and there's a link, I believe, on the site that can take you to VanGogh.org, uh, which will help you explain all the packages uh, for this, because hotels apparently yeah. have blocks of tickets that can help you get into the exhibition. Unfortunately, though, you, you cannot buy a Van Gogh <laughs> snowboard. As part of the package. But not yet, but not we'll yet. work on it, and okay. uh, I hope you guys will invite me back. Yes, yes. yes. We'd love to have yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I want to wrap up with a little uh, love and hate, if that's okay. We go around and uh, talk about something local that we love or we hate. Uh, Timothy, since you're a guest, do you have anything you want to love on or hate on locally or both? Uh, I was told not to hate. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, the hand... Oh. <laughs> who would have said? Who would have said such a thing? Not Ashley. you. <laughs> Somebody up in right to life heaven. My mother. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I. I uh, no. I'm. Do you have anything you want to love on? Love on something. Love on. It can be. It can be tiny or or huge. It, as as oh, small well, as what uh, you had for lunch. Well, I, I apologize. I haven't heard your blog. Uh, uh, blob. Blog. <laughs> Sorry. I like blog. Uh, maybe that's <laughs> explaining my age and my aversion to social media. But anyway, uh, it, hasn't it been interesting in Denver that coffee culture is, is caught on in, in a really wonderful way? 
Oh, you're speaking to the choir. I'm the, I'm the ultimate coffee snob. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm so what, what, what's your, what's your best? I mean, can we, can we talk about I, can, I mean, I mean, I think people who listen know I'm a huge fan of Novo Coffee, which used to be at the art museum. Uh, I uh, went a little with bit it. slow on the service. Yeah, slow on the service, you know. but the quality of the coffee there? I like St. Mark's. You like St. Mark's? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I so, and I, I love that when they open up the garage door. Love it. Yeah. I, I just feel so bohemian and I can just, my muse is there. I can get a lot done and get yeah. balanced and. So that's whatever you call it, a love on or a love with. Yeah. Or, yes. Yeah. That I, I like very much. Um, and then uh, uh, the, the dislike, uh, Untied Airlines is, have, has to get their act together a little bit more. Untied Airlines? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Hey, come on. I, we Amen. just talked about me flying 100,000 miles a year. Yeah, yeah. And, if anyone uh, could speak to the airline system, their merger know. with Continental uh, is not improving visitor amenities. So Ooh. we'll just keep it Kay. as vague as that. Okay. So. I like that. That was good. Ron, do you have a love or a hate? Um, I, have, I have two quick loves. Uh, I want to love on Mark Manger, uh, the local photographer here in town um, who's, who's graciously, he's taken care of us on several occasions. Yep. He's, the photos he's, on the website. He's, he's done our headshots. He, uh, he's photographed some of our live events. Um, uh, but I want, what I want to love on is he's, his new invention, the Gropener. Uh, have, you, have you seen this? Yes, I have. Okay, it's a, it's a one-handed bottle opener. Uh, he's, revol- he's taken the classic bottle opening design, put a ring on it, so you can grab a beer bottle, squeeze uh, like you're making a handshake, and it pops the cap off. It's, mm. it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Uh, and I love as long that- as he doesn't name it Strange Brew Opener, he's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm a, little sus- I'm a little concerned about the name he chose. Yeah, close gr- to Groupon. Close to Groupon, yeah. but also Grope. Grope, yes. Grope, Gropener. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but in general, the, the invention is brilliant. He, he has it on Indiegogo.com, uh, and it's, he's already surpassed his initial $4,000 uh, really? target. Uh, awesome. He's already up to 5000 But you can go order these things online now. Uh, you should, if you have a one-handed friend or a friend who drinks so much that they can only use one limb at a time, <laughs> this is the opener <laughs> for them. And then I also just want to very quickly love on us, uh, because Aww. once again, we were nominated for Best Podcast in the uh, Westward Web Awards. And, uh, and uh, the Web Awards uh, party is tonight. Um, and, and sadly, uh, our, our fake arch nemesis, South Stands, uh, fan cast uh, they were not uh one of the finalists this year so you actually just stole my hate for the week i was gonna give a hate oh I was go, gonna hate go. on the it's fact a, it's a good segue that south stands uh podcast radio is that just i've done a south, south stands, stands denver fan cast south stands denver fan cast was not nominated this year for best podcast uh, uh which is somewhat funny in that they won last year they won they won so last year could, they've been so very we consistent. could be reveling in their in their shame but since we're the bigger podcast, since since we are the, yeah. the grown ups yes. in this relationship, yes. take, or blob as Timothy room. calls us, <laughs> as in the, as the bigger, in, uh, the bigger, in our the web, bigger blob, in our, in our <laughs> audio blob, yeah, um, we uh, <laughs> we want to let South Stands know that they're still very much with us in our hearts. They are. I love those guys, yeah. and it's it's a shame that they're not there. Most especially because the week leading up to when they announced the finalist, we were having fake attack ads on. Yeah. 
Twitter and we can't, uh, back and forth. Well, and we can't really do that anymore. Clearly, it's just not fair. Clearly somebody won in that <laughs> campaign. I'm not right. going to say anymore, but it's clear somebody yeah. won. Uh, so that's all the love and hate we have time for this week. If you'd like to share a little love or hate, please leave us a brief message once again at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Uh, our theme music is by TJ Miller from his extended play... EP and our web hosting is provided by bluechannel.com. For more information about the Denver Diatribe or any of our guests, check out our website, denverdiatribe.com, or search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Joel Warner on behalf of my co host, Ron Doyle, and our special guest, uh, Timothy Standring. Thanks for listening. Haven't you heard the birds at the words Denver? High average income, roll like big spenders. Affordable housing, good money lenders. Low obesity, no need for suspenders. Check your calendar. Denver.